Well, today uh, we have had an extended, uh, uh, of course, time of Thanksgiving. And this morning we're going to do something a little bit different, just like we've done with our morning worship, is we are going to take a break from our parable series. Lord willing, we will be back there next Sunday. But as Thanksgiving is before us, uh, I've chosen today to focus on a psalm. And so I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Psalm 100. Psalm 100, we will be here uh, for the remainder of our service. This particular psalm has a title to it. Many of your psalms do. Uh, There's been question about where those titles came from. I personally believe that the editor, uh, whom God... uh, Uh, worked through, possibly even Ezra, the priest, placed some of these titles. Listen to the title of Psalm 100. It says this, a psalm for giving thanks. So if there's anything that we ought to kind of calibrate ourselves for this next week, this is a place to concentrate on. Now listen to what the text of Psalm 100 says. Very familiar to many of you. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever in his faithfulness to all generations. May the Lord bless the reading of his word and help us to understand this. You know, here in the United States of America, we have set aside a day, a holiday for this very purpose. But I don't know about you, but oftentimes uh, there is very little giving of thanks on Thanksgiving. Uh, People are too busy cooking, too busy eating, too busy, of course, either sleeping in, if you're not mom, okay, or uh, sleeping after that turkey is in your belly. Sometimes there's a lot more football or a lot more shopping. It's kind of nice this year, the store, a lot of stores aren't opening on Thanksgiving. And so hopefully I'll have a little bit more time to think about really what Thanksgiving was designed for in our in our country, but really what the whole purpose of Thanksgiving is. Of course, all of us know, if you're a believer, is that, that Thanksgiving is not to be simply relegated to the fourth Sunday of November. What is true Thanksgiving? What is this all about? Today, I want you to see what the Bible says about Thanksgiving. Of course, we have a psalm that has really our instruction book into how we are to be people who give thanks. Did you know that you were made, you were created, all of you, to be people who give thanks with your life? Just like an eagle was created to fly, a cheetah was created to run fast, a trumpet is designed to sound, a fountain pen was designed to write. You as a human being were created by God to give him glory and to give him praise. You were created to be a thanksgiver. Of course, we know that the fall messed all of this up. 
In Genesis chapter 3, you read about how Adam and Eve, instead of giving glory to God and seeking to put God in his rightful place, they sought to rob God of his glory. And you and I are all very much descendants of them. We are robbers of God's glory. I want you to see this morning how Psalm 100 is a, in many ways, a guidepost for you and I to lead us back to why and how we should be living our lives, and that is to give thanks. And so in this message, we're going to see three simple truths through Psalm 100. It's this. I want you to see the invitation to thanksgiving. I want you to see the instructions for thanksgiving, and then I want you to see the catalyst for thanksgiving. Very simple, three points, and here they are. First of all, the invitation for thanksgiving. Of course, it's now just about four days away from Thanksgiving. Some of you have already received an invitation to the meal, to a meal. Maybe some of you are traveling and someone said, hey, come on over for Thanksgiving. Some of you, your plans have drastically changed in 2020. You've gotten used to it. Uh, Reading on the news, some uh, heard of a mom who was requiring anyone who came to Thanksgiving to make sure they had a COVID test, okay? I'm not sure what you uh, have gone through this week when it comes to maybe an invitation being given or withdrawn. Some of you may be today, you don't know what you're going to do for Thanksgiving. I hope you at Lebanon Baptist Church, as much as you can, use your discretion of just being open to uh, just serving and loving people. Thankfully, in this particular psalm, we find that all of us are invited to Thanksgiving. Nobody is left out. All of you are invited to come. In fact, look at how Psalm 100 opens up. It says this, make a joyful noise to the Lord. And notice those next three words, all the earth. Guess what? You're included in the earth. Everybody on earth has been invited to make a joyful noise to the Lord. In fact, although this particular psalm was initially written to Israel, it's an invitation to everybody on the planet at that particular time. In fact, Israel was chosen not just simply to have the benefits of uh, the Messiah for themselves. Of course, Israel was chosen to be a nursery from which the Messiah would come, but ultimately their, their purpose was to be a light, an invitation to the world to come. In fact, God strategically placed them where they are, where they are geographically to be kind of a crossroads to all the continents in that hemisphere. They were to be a light to the Gentiles. And in here we find that they are being invited, all the earth, to come and give thanks to God. Not only at that particular time, did you notice at the end of this psalm, in verse 5, the psalmist ends with two words. Let me read verse 5 to you. For the Lord is good, his steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness to, here it is, all generations. Now, of course, at that particular point in the psalm, he's emphasizing how God's character stretches that character trait to every generation. But what this psalm seems to do is it seems to open and close 
with an invitation to all people from all generations to join in the thanksgiving. What that means is this. That means that every person in Roswell today, beautiful day outside, no doubt you will be uh, driving home. You'll see different people in various locations. Did you know that every person in Roswell was invited to give thanks? Every person in the state of Georgia, in the United States, every farmer in Russia, every person in a coffee shop in Shanghai today, every person on the islands that surround Bali, everybody is invited. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, who all the earth, to every generation. All are invited, not simply that generation, but the greatest generation, the generation that many, in many ways is passing off the scene. Generation X, Generation Y, the millennials, and whatever they're going to call the next generation, all of them have been invited to this thanksgiving, to give praise to God. In fact, it's interesting, we'll find in the book of Revelation that from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation, from all different generations, we will all join and say, worthy is the lamb that was slain. You may choose not to worship or try to give thanks to God, but the Bible says that every person at some point, at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. They may not, may not offer thanks, but they will bow in reverence. All the earth is invited to this thanksgiving. So often weddings, you've got to be limited, especially if you're a dad, okay, and you're paying for the wedding. I mean, I'm dreading the day that I have to, I mean, I'm, I'm dreading the day to have to give away my daughter. Shouldn't be dreading my daughter's wedding day, but I, I do dread the fact that one day I'm going to have to narrow down a list because I just want, I want to be friends with everyone and invite everybody, but I realize I can't invite everyone. But let me tell you this. This particular Thanksgiving has been extended to all of you. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth, everybody, give praise to him. So here the invitation we find, it's to all. But then we get some instructions. So we've seen the invitation to Thanksgiving, now the instructions for Thanksgiving. What you'll notice as you survey Psalm 100 is it is filled with imperatives. Did you catch that? There are, in fact, seven commands, imperatives. Let me just point them out to you. The beginning of verse 1, make a joyful noise. That's a command. Verse 2, serve the Lord with gladness. To be, you could say, come into his presence. Verse 3, know. Verse 4, enter his gates. Later on in verse 4, give thanks At the end of verse 4, bless seven commands for you to offer some sort of praise to God. I want you to notice a few things about these commands or these instructions. First of all this, they are all imperatives. The psalmist under inspiration of God is commanding all the earth to do this. Make a joyful noise. It's not like giving you an option here. Now, of course, it may seem as if the psalmist is saying, hey, let me suggest to all of you in Israel, make a joyful noise. But let me remind you from all the other texts of scripture, humans were created to give God glory. 
In fact, sin, the very nature of sin, many of you know sin is to miss the mark. You know Romans 3.23, for all have sinned. And what have we come short of? We've come short of the what? The glory of God. We have failed to give God glory, to give him thanks, and to give him praise. And what you'll find here initially with all of these commands is this is a command for all of you who are rightly related to God and those who aren't that you would really offer to God thanksgiving. In fact, Jesus, when he was on this planet and he ran into the woman at the well, you remember the story? What did he tell them that God is looking for? God is seeking worshipers who will worship him in spirit and in truth. That's what he's seeking. And that's why Jesus came in order to redeem those of us who were worshiping other things to bring us back into reality. So notice in these instructions, they're imperatives, but also notice this. They are all directed at who? The Lord. They're directed at God. Did you notice how many times God's name shows up in Psalm chapter 100? In fact, you'll notice that the name Lord in all capital letters shows up four times. In fact, it's in verse 1, verse 2, verse 3, and in verse 5. Now, if you didn't know this, whenever you see Lord in all capital letters, you and I are reading it in the English, probably most of us are, It was originally written in Hebrew. And whenever you see the translators put Lord in all capital letters, it means that the writer is saying God's covenant name, which is Yahweh. And what he says is this, all of these actions were meant to be directed toward Yahweh God. The one verse that doesn't have Lord in it is verse number four, and it's clearly implied when it says, bless his what? Name. So in every verse, it's focusing your attention, your actions, you are commanded to do something, but it's all to be directed toward God himself. In fact, the first one, uh, uh, it says, make a joyful noise unto what? The Lord. He's to be the, just like a, a pitcher, when a, when a pitcher is throwing in the ball, there's one recipient, it's that catcher. He doesn't want the batter to hit it. Who's to be the catcher of all the praise on this planet? You know what it's supposed to be? It's supposed to be God. He's to be, he's to be the receiver of it. It was earlier this week as I would, told the staff that I was going to be preaching on a psalm, Mark just shared with me, said, yeah, I, I've just been wondering, can, can people who don't know the Lord really be people who truly give thanks? Can they really do it to its fullest extent? Now, my short answer is this. No, I don't think so. It's almost like this. Uh, over the next month, many of you are going to start receiving packages. Okay, maybe you're going to start doing your Christmas shopping. I think it was now 10 years ago, I I really moved pretty much all my shopping online. And then over the course of the next number of weeks, Amazon keeps sending me things. Now, can you imagine this? Imagine my kids see all of this. And then let's say we wrap up their presents and when they open them up, because I'm one of those lazy guys sometimes who like, just leave it in the Amazon 
box. I'll leave it in the target box. Let me just open that, and there it is. I may check to make sure that they got the right thing. But can you imagine, as they received all these gifts, they started praising, oh, look what Amazon got me. (laughs) Or let's say the packages show up, and they're giving the FedEx guy a hug. Thank you. I can't believe this is awesome. And they're like, yeah, okay, and just going back to work. I mean, it's like this. Imagine that I wanted to show love to my wife and I started sending her flowers every day. And every day I got home and she was praising the florist. Look at the florist. Look what they did today. You know what a lot of people do when it comes to Thanksgiving? They're really good people at giving thanks. But ultimately, it's never directed at the right person. Did you know that true thanksgiving ought to be directed toward the one who gave it? I mean, think about everything that you give thanks for. If it's a person, guess what? Who made that person? Who gave that person those gifts? It's always the Lord. If you always trace the trail, it always goes back to him. And that's why I believe the Apostle Paul, even when he's writing to other churches and thanking them for things that they had done for for him, did you know that he directs the praise not necessarily to them? Notice what he does in 1 Thessalonians 1. He says this, we give thanks to who? To God always for all of you. Constantly mentioning you in our prayers. You know what? It's incredibly interesting how Paul, whenever he talks about giving thanks, it's always directed not at them, but at God for them. So when, if you really want to learn how to give thanks, understand that you're commanded to do it, but the thanks should be directed at God. But the third thing I want you to th- see about these instructions is that they involve the whole person. Okay, let me illustrate it with just one of those commands. Did you notice that they are called to make a joyful noise to the Lord? Did you notice that obeying that command involves both something inward and something outward? If you're going to make a noise, it's going to have to come out audibly. It's going to have to be physical. But if you're going to make a noise and he's commanded you to make a joyful noise, that's going to have to come from where? Internal. It's going to have to involve your whole person. In fact, all of these commands in many ways, I mean, notice the first three commands. He tells them to do something, come into his presence with joyful singing, all of them serve the Lord with what? With gladness. It involves something outward and it involves something inward. True thanksgiving involves giving your what? Your all. In fact, the final imperatives at the end of Psalm 100 involve Israel's worship when they had their temple. In fact, look at what it says in verse 4. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and enter his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. And the idea is when this was originally written, there was a temple 
a physical one. God's, you could say, worship was so, somewhat localized. In fact, on our last trip, I'll show you a picture of the trip that I took. Uh, I mean, one of my, I think this was on my first trip. We took a map, a picture of a map that they had built. This is kind of a, a construction or a model of what Israel would have looked like in Jesus's day. They built this model outside the Israeli museum. It's it's an incredible thing. But as you look at it in the forefront, I think most of you uh, who can see can maybe see uh, just about maybe a foot or two from the bottom, right in the middle. It looks like there's a little swimming pool. Okay, you guys see that? That would be called the Pool of Siloam. And oftentimes worship at the temple would initiate from that pool. And they would walk up these steps, and if you were able to look at this real intently, you would see their steps going all the way up, and you see that big structure, there's some people kind of looking at it, uh, almost uh, right above it. That was the temple complex, and there's some gates there. What would happen is this, the people would begin at the Pool of Siloam oftentimes, and many of them would, after their pilgrimage, walk up these ascension steps. And the way they built the steps was even to, uh, in many ways, help with the meter, I think, and and with their singing, and help them purposely, because not all the steps were the same. In fact, on our last trip, Jen and I, we sent the, other, the, the group on the bus, and I, I, I've always wanted to walk on those ascension steps. And they're there, many of them, but they're built over. So I'm walking through the gutters of modern-day Jerusalem on some of these ascension steps. But just imagine this. Here they are physically coming to worship, and then they enter his gates And imagine going into that complex and you enter the gates with thanksgiving. And then it says, enter the courts. And many of you know the temple was divided into courts with praise. And then what do you do? Bless his name. What this involved was your whole person, everything about you was to be involved in worship. You're all. God calls you. He He gives you commands to be involved in worshiping him in this particular way. So maybe a question I could ask you this morning was this. Did you today give thanks to God, even in our worship service? Or did you allow your mind to wander? Were you giving thanks even in your singing? Did you give your all? It's this type of praise that ultimately should fuel our lives. How are you guys supposed to make it Monday through Saturday? I believe it's through thanksgiving and through praise. If there's no thanksgiving, you may want to check, have you come to know this God? Dr. Bob Jones Sr. used to say this, when gratitude dies on the altar of a man's heart, that man is well nigh hopeless. I think all of us could grow in our intent to worship God with our whole heart. I personally feel that God's continuing to grow me even with my outward demonstrations of of worship. I mean, some of you say, Pastor Brian, I cannot sing, okay? But you know what? Give of yourself to learn these things so you can praise him. You're You're gonna be doing this in heaven, so you might as well learn now. 
okay? I grew up in an environment which was very solemn in worship. I mean, and so I've had to learn how to, you know what? It's okay to have physical demonstrations of it. And every once in a while you'll see me raise my hand a little bit. And you know what? That's good. That's okay. Don't be afraid to. You know what? If, if God's working in your whole heart, don't just do one, do both. Okay? It is okay. It is okay at times. You know what? When God gets a hold of your heart, to clap and to praise the Lord. I mean, you read an Old Testament worship, they praised him with clapping, with singing, with the timbrel and dance, as you could say. And you know what? There's a point where put your whole life into the worship of your God. He deserves it all. He deserves everything. So, Let me, as a side note, say that doesn't mean that you always ought to walk in church thinking, I always got to be all this happy and always with a smile on my face and always so intent in worship. Let me remind you as well that the book of Psalms is a, is a book of laments as well, where there's great sorrow and trial. But what you'll find in all of those sorrows and trials and laments, they often lead to what? To praise. They lead to, God, I'm going to give thanks in the midst of this. May God help us to do that. So you see instructions for praise. They are commanded. They are to be to the Lord, and they are to involve your whole person. So here you are today, and you say, Pastor Brian, I'm about to go to the week of Thanksgiving. I'm probably pretty lousy at giving thanks. I was probably pretty lousy this morning when it comes to it. I'm thinking about everything else. I'm not a really good thanksgiver in fact I'm, I'm, I'm just troubled about all these other things in my life you'd say how do I really begin to see God change me in reference to this and the final point I want you to see is this the catalyst for worship I want to point out one particular imperative that he gives right in the center of the psalm and it's this no There is something that you have got to know and meditate on and think of continually. And I'll tell you this, it will help ignite Thanksgiving in your life. Now, some of you have probably seen people who've tried to start a fire with simply a stick or maybe a bow drill. Anyone ever done that before? Anyone ever started a fire? Okay, a few people. I've never been able to do that. I've watched people do it on television and when they finally got it and like the the ember dropped out and it's like, yes, I started fire. Let me tell you that when it comes to true thanksgiving, you and I can't manufacture it. But God in his grace opens our eyes to know certain truths about himself. And when you learn those truths, your job and my job is to meditate continually on them and they will fuel your worship. And so right in the middle of this psalm, what the psalmist does is he gives you two attributes of God that you ought to think on and meditate on that will help you with your thanksgiving. And then he closes it up with a third one. You say, Pastor Brian, what are they? The first is this. 
The Lord is God. Look what it says in verse three. Know that the Lord, he is God. Now think about it. When the psalmist was writing this, there was a lot of competing gods. I mean, if you were to go to all the different Canaanites and the Perizzites and the Jebusites and all of these different people, they had their gods. Many of you, the most popular one that you know of is Baal because of Ahab. But there was lots of competing gods that tried to volley for their attention. But the psalmist says this, you need to know that Yahweh, that he is the Elohim. He is the one true God. Now don't be deceived and think, you know what, we live in the United States of America. Aren't we glad we don't have a lot of these gods Let me tell you, you and I are up against a godless, but also a God-filled world. We make other things our God. Money, power. I'd say the most prominent God in our community is one that's very close to home. It's yourself. It's human autonomy. We like to be God. We like to be the ones, I mean, think about what God does. He's the one who gives life, takes life. What do we like to do? In our society today, hey, I can, I can make life in whatever relationship I want in whatever time. I don't need to be married. I don't need to do this. I can do whatever I want in reference to this. And when it comes to taking life, that life in the womb, I can take it because you know what? I'm God. I can do that. We are people who are just like Adam and Eve. We try to be equal with God. In order for you to have true worship and be able to offer to God what you're rightfully supposed to do, you need to realize that Yahweh is God. Not you, not anything else in this planet, only Yahweh. You say, Pastor Brian, then how do I get to know Yahweh, that Old Testament Israel God? How do I get to know him? I'm glad you asked. That God is one, but the Bible says that the Father is Yahweh, the Son is Yahweh, and the Holy Spirit is Yahweh. Three persons in one. In fact, when Jesus was on this planet and the apostle John wrote about him, this is what he says. No one has ever seen God. But then he says this. The only God who is at the Father's side. Now, who is at the Father's side? Well, earlier in the prologue of John 1, it says, in the word, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, which literally means he was beside God. And the word was God. And this verse says, no one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him, and literally it says he has exegeted him. He has made him fully known. You look none other, the way you get to know Israel's God, Yahweh, is you look no farther than Jesus Christ. And I can take you you in the word and show you how Jesus is none other than Yahweh himself.
You say, how do I worship and how can I give thanks? Meditate on that truth. Yahweh is God. But not only that, he's not only the God of the universe. And if you have not gotten to know him, listen to what Romans 10.9 says. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is what? Lord. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. So know that the Lord is God. But the second truth right in the midst of this psalm is this. The Lord is great. You say, where do you see that, Pastor Brian? Look again at verse 3, right in the center. It says, know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us. What's that talking about? It's talking about how God created everything and he created you. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. The Bible says. He made all of you. That shows his greatness, but not only that, it says this, and we are his. That means he owns us. If he created us, he owns us. We're his possession, and then he adds to that this, we are his people and the sheep of his pasture. What that's all saying is just pointing at his greatness. He's the creator, he's the sustainer, for by him all things were made, things in heaven and on earth. Everything was made by him. And he is the one who upholds everything by the word of his power. That is our Lord. He's great. Some of you have a hard time thanksgiving. Let me tell you, meditate on God's deity and meditate on God's greatness. Think of it. Know it. Have you acknowledged God's greatness lately? He made you, he owns you. In fact, those of you who are Christians, you are doubly his, as I've said before. You are his by your initial creation, but you are also his by his, you could say, recreation. He recreated you in Christ. So you are, you could say, sealed doubly to be his. In fact, this psalm, it's interesting, Psalm 100 comes at the culmination of a series of psalms that show of God's greatness and his kingship over all the earth. And Psalm 100 in many ways functions kind of like a doxology to Psalm 93 through 99. It kind of ends all of this. And I'll tell you, if you are having problems watching or listening to the news, okay, let me tell you, Chew on God's greatness in Psalm 93 and 97. And there are probably a lot of us who are so prone to complaining and worrying and fear. And if you will just begin to chew on God's greatness and his authority over all the world, that complaining could turn to rejoicing and thanksgiving because he's in charge. God is great. He is God. But the final truth I want you to see is this. It's in the last verse. For the Lord is what? Good. He's good. We have a God who not only has all power, but he's good. I mean, imagine that you hear that there's going to be one guy who's going to rule the entire earth. Not just maybe someone who's ruling your particular state or your particular country, but there's going to be now a ruler who's going to rule all the earth and he's going to have all that power. And all of a sudden you're like, oh no, what's going to happen? And he's going to have all this power and all this greatness. But then you find out 
it's your best friend. Or you find out that it's your loving dad. You know what? That's God. He is the great God, but you know what? He's your father. He is your Abba father. And he is good. And the text ends with this, that his steadfast love, you say, what's steadfast love? We, we learned about that a little bit ago in our series on Abraham. It's that word chesed, his loving loyalty toward you. Probably the, the best illustration of love and loyalty that many of you have experienced is maybe with a parent or a friend. It was someone who just loved you no matter what. I mean, they just loved you with all their heart. They gave themselves to you. You know what? That's the type of God you have. He's good. He who did not spare his only son, but gave him up for you, how shall he not freely give you all things? He is not only a great God, he's a good God. Not only that, his truthfulness, the Bible says, is for every generation. He is always the same. This I recall to mind, therefore I have a hope. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. For his compassions fail not. Great is his what? Faithfulness. So my question to you this morning is this. As you enter a week of thanksgiving, let let me say it a little bit different. As you enter the rest of your life, of thanksgiving. Are you able to live a life, you could say above this world, you could say in the heavenlies, in a different realm, where you live a life of thanksgiving to God? Let me tell you, you've been invited to do it by God. He says, make a joyful noise, all the earth. And you are commanded to do that. And you're commanded to give thanks to him with all of your being. And then you say, God, I have a really hard time with this. Well, know this then. Know that the Lord, your God, he is God. And he created everything and you're his, you're his sheep. And guess what? He's good. Meditate on it. Think of it. Chew on it. Let that be the piece of chewing gum you chew on till you get to heaven. And I'll tell you this, it will produce thanksgiving. And it'll help you be a testimony to the world. They're wondering, how in the world do they handle the events of their life in the way they do it? I'll tell you, the only reason is because the Lord is your God. We have him. You came to know him in Jesus. So let's thank him for it. Father, we thank you for all that you have done for us in Christ. We thank you for Jesus. And this week, as we enter a week of thanksgiving, help us to be people that offer up to you a heart of continual thanks. We, praise, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.